Mark chapter one. It's been a long haul, hasn't it? I mean, you guys are like, are we ever going to get... At this rate, there's 16 chapters of Mark. This is our fourth study in it. So you do the math. That's how long it's going to take us to get through this. Okay. Excited to look at verse 35 through 45 with you all. And here's what it says. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, that's Jesus, by the way, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So think about that for a minute. Jesus, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he created everything. He's God. Nothing was made that he didn't make, and everything is made for him. John chapter 1 talks about how he created the world and that he's God. It's a bit of the mystery of the Christian faith, the Trinity, tri-unity. There's three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I remember being a freshman in high school, being raised in the church and being at a youth group event. And the youth pastor asked, like, what's the Trinity? And I was like, you know. And I remember one of my youth friends being like, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And I was like, how come I didn't know that? You know, it's a good thing for Christians to know. It's a major doctrine of the Christian faith. The triunity, the Trinity, three in one. I'm sure you can all do that. And, uh, and Jesus, the Son, is God. So equal in value uh, and distinct in role and function. Okay, so one God, three persons. And how interesting to read of that second person, Jesus, after having become flesh, draping himself in in flesh, fresh flesh, and laying aside his rights and privileges of deity, of being God, now coming and pursuing the Father and spending time with the Father and talking to the Lord, talking to the Lord about uh, the day, by the way, I take my wedding ring off when I'm playing the drum because it hurts. It's back on, just in case you're wondering, did Rory and Lindsay get in a fight? Yes, but that's not why I took it off. Okay. Um, and so you have, you know, we just read the last two weeks about Jesus's healing ministry and demons being cast out and, and sick people being healed and just incredible miracles. And, and he goes off early in the morning Uh, It says he rose a long while before daylight. Now, that's nothing new to you all, right, Polina folk. I've been at the break of dawn with many of you. You guys are like Jesus in that way. You know that, waking up early uh, before the sun rises and talking to the Lord about all that's happened and and praying for the people and praying that, that this would just have its work in the hearts of men, no doubt. J.C. Ryle said, If he who was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners prayed continually, how much more ought we who are compassed with infirmity? So if Jesus, who is God, thought, you know, I need to get away and spend some time praying. What about us, right? What about us? I'm a little far removed from Jesus. Like, you know, there's Jesus and then a couple notches away, then multiply that by a billion and then I'm down here. Like, I probably need to spend even more time in prayer, seeking the Lord. He spent some hours in what one pastor called 
hallowed communion with the Father. Prayer was to him, as a man in perfection, the very delight of his holy soul as he talked things over with him who had sent him. Just talking things over with the Lord. And really, that's what prayer is. It's talking things over with the Lord. It's petitioning the Lord. It's asking the Lord. It's interceding uh, and, and begging the Lord. And it's so necessary. One thing I've learned as a pastor and a minister, prayer is so necessary for the minister. And now you might think, well, that's good for you, dude. But guess what? You are ministers. Did you know that? Ephesians chapter 4 says God wants every one of you to be ministers. It's, the only difference is I kind of get paid to do it. But hey, you know, God's provided for you in your own sphere of work. So you're all ministers as well. God desires us to spend time in prayer in tune with him. Samuel Chadwick, I always like that name, Samuel Chadwick, said this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And I remember right before I moved to Prineville 10 years ago, a good friend of mine who's a, a Bible college professor, uh, Adam Poole, he taught a sermon on our deep need for the Holy Spirit in everything we do. Everything we do. So your trucks broke down, you got to work and tinker underneath the hood. Don't even think of going at it on your own. You know, flat tire, rusty bolt, rusty pipe under the sink, you know, all of this stuff that just goes wrong. And have you ever noticed when you just get mad, you know, like it just doesn't get better, you know, making a work of the flesh out of the whole thing and forcing something that just break, you know, but I've found in my 37 years of wisdom, 38 in November, uh, you know, when I just like surrender it to the Lord and just take some time to pray and to just trust the Lord and to confess trust to him and ask him for the help and ask him for the wisdom. He's so faithful to work things out in ways that we can't even imagine. It's an incredible thing. And recently, I was cowboying with somebody, and everything was kind of going wrong. And it reminded me of when I was working cows as a kid out on the Rogers Ranch, where I'm from, IF Rogers and Sons. And it could get ugly, because our family was not filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right? Some of us were, some of us weren't. And it could just get ugly. It was like watching an episode of Orange County Choppers, you know. Everyone's yelling. People are driving off mad, you know. And I just, you know, I, I know how that can be doing what we do, whatever it is. You know, Ken over here is an air traffic controller, so things get a little different and hairy for him when it's not going well. Like, pull up! <laughs> you know, he, he needs the Holy Spirit, right? And so I want to encourage you guys to take the time at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the middle of the day, to just, man, just get away, spend all time, drop to your knees. That's okay. It's a biblical thing. It's not weird. Get to your knees. And it's a position of humility that in desperation, you're crying out for God to move. And you know what? I, I know that if we take to prayer in all of our endeavors, 
you know, enter in your profession and what you do and your hobbies and your, you know, the things that you're tackling of the day. Watch the Lord move in amazing ways, in amazing ways. Satan dreads that because he knows that whatever's happening, God's going to be working it out for his glory. J.C. Ryle said, a praying master can have no prayerless servants. What shall we say to those who pray, yet give little time to their prayers? We're obliged to say that they show at present very little of the mind of Christ. Asking little, they must expect to have little. Seeking little, they cannot be surprised if they possess little. It will always be... Sorry, I had to write this out myself. It's it's sometimes the word. It will always be forum that when prayers are few, grace, strength, peace, and hope are small. So basically, there's like almost a proportion to the grace and the peace and the power and the prayer. Okay? Uh, I think it was uh, Andrew Murray said, when I pray, coincidences happen. Okay? Uh, and, and that's an amazing thing. Like, what do you know? You showed up on the side of the road right when I needed you. That's an awesome thing. Charles Spurgeon said, the minister who does not earnestly pray over his work must surely be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if though he himself were sufficient of himself and therefore needed not to appeal to God. So that's for a minister, but I would also say apply that to you. Do you realize that that your task in life is to bring God glory in everything that you do? Your task in life is that people would see you doing whatever it is you're doing and they would smell you being the aroma to Christ and come want to know Jesus. It's part of your ministry. And for you to even begin to think, I can do this on my own. That's a very vain, prideful thing that is, it, it smells of ugliness. You know, it smells of ugliness. It's putrid. Okay, is that a better way to say that? Um, and if you'll forgive me, I've got a few quotes today, but they're quotes that are dear to my heart and seared into my heart. And this is what Spurgeon has to say about making the time for prayer. He says, if you guys aren't familiar with Charles Spurgeon, he was a preacher in the late 1800s. I think he died in like 1888, and he preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, and he's been known as the Prince of Preachers. And um, he said this, another challenge we face is making time for prayer in the midst of a busy schedule. Amen, right? Yeah. We think we are too busy to pray. A great mistake. For prayer is a saving of time. Prayer is a saving of time. And then Spurgeon quotes Martin Luther. Luther says, I have so much to do today that I shall never get through it with less than three hours of prayer. Did you catch that? (laughs) I got so much to do today that I have got to just carve out time that I would be sleeping or eating or just sitting on the couch, watching the news, scrolling through my Facebook feed. I'm going to like push that out. That's not as important as just seeking the Lord, petitioning the Lord, talking to the Lord, asking the Lord. And I'm telling you, this has been seared into my heart for probably eight years now as I've read this and studied this on prayer. And I'm telling you, watch the Lord save your time 
and just work out the events in your day in ways that are like, can you believe this happened today? Does anybody want to say that about your day? I like coming home to dinner and telling these great stories, you know? Spend that time. Uh, Luther went on to say, for if God has given us time for secondary duties, he must have given us time for primary ones, and to draw near to him is a primary duty, and we must not let anything set it aside. Other engagements will run smoothly if you will not forget your engagement with God. There's an old preacher from about the Civil War era that traveled around with D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. He was known to spend three hours a day in prayer, and uh, it was from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. Every day he would spend that time. A great example, and, and he had great testimony to tell of that. So Jesus rising early, going out to an isolated place to pray. In verse 36 in our text today, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So I don't know if you have an imagination like me, but I'm totally playing this through my head right now. Like, and if you know Peter, he was a little bit, well, like me, you know, like, where did he go? Where? You know, he's searching all over for him in verse 37. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. I don't want to read too much into this than probably is there, but I think Peter's a little perturbed because they are just getting a ministry rocking and rolling. I mean, Jesus is famous. People are coming from all over. It's like a big rock concert going on. Everyone is there to see Jesus and to be healed by him. Come on, buddy. Like we got stuff to do and you are, you know, you're the hot ticket item around here. You got to come on, rock and roll. Come on, throw out some hot cakes for the people, you know? So we're going to be like at the rodeo, like, all right. Um, And, you know, everyone, there's a big, there's a big demand for you. And you're out gallivanting around and like going on a prayer walk. Not now, Jesus. We got stuff to do, right? And uh, he says to him, verse 38, let us go to the next town. So there was a crowd here. What, what What do we even need to go to the next town? No, let's go to the next town. Towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I've come forth. So you've got healings, like big time healings. You've got demons being cast out. This stuff sells, people, all right? You've got, uh, you've got miracles happening and fevers disappearing, and, and you want to abandon all that and go to the, like, Why? Because the purpose that Jesus came from the Father into the world, (laughs) from the Father into the world, (laughs) uh, from the world into Galilee, from Galilee to Capernaum, and from Capernaum to the Decapolis and these other towns, why did he come? To preach the gospel, to live out the gospel, to fulfill the gospel. And as ecstatic and dramatic and all the hubbub of healing as it is, As John Calvin said, the healings and the miracles were appendages to the preaching of the word. And that should never be reversed. And that's what we believe about even ministry today. We love, I love times of prayer for healing. I believe God does miracles today. I believe all of the works of the Holy Spirit should be done decently and in order. And there's great order to things. But God still moves. He moves in power. He moves 
in the spiritual realm. He heals, he delivers. There's great, exciting things that happen, but that is never to replace the word of God. It's only to validate the word. And Jesus says, you know what? Like I came here to preach and we're kind of getting sidetracked. And, and as we know from reading the gospels, these folks, they weren't giving their hearts to Jesus as people were being healed. They were just excited that people were getting healed and they're going to end up abandoning him later on. So Jesus knew all of that was coming down. Um, it's interesting. Lindsay and I uh, just, we like to listen to audiobooks as we go on road trips and been on a few road trips recently. And we got um, a book about Jim Jones and his cult uh, called the, the Unity Community or the Community of Unity. Um, and the people's temple, you know, some of you know about that. And, and he started in Indianapolis and it's actually incredible. He really cared about social issues, feeding the poor, helping the homeless, and especially racial integration. And believe it or not, Jim Jones was actually like solely responsible for the racial integration in Indianapolis, but he, he didn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. He didn't believe in the God of the Bible. He used Christianity as an avenue to try to get social issues taken care of. And he ended up tossing out the Bible and coming up with all sorts of weird stuff that any weird false prophet, false teacher would say. Eventually even calling himself to be a manifestation of God. He should be worshipped. All sorts of strange, wacky stuff that you almost can't even make up. But one thing that happened early on in his ministry was he began to take this and kind of do this thing with it and then come out and work the crowd, you know? And it was interesting that uh, early on, as people would arrive early for church, he'd kind of walk around during the mingling sessions. I think he did this. Because who doesn't? <laughs> there's mingling going on. <laughs> and he would listen to the conversations and write it down and take notes. And then in his sermon, he would, oh, and as you know, Gary, um, or, or, you know, he'd be, oh, and the Lord, you know, something, oh, and the Lord just told me that Gary, you know, has a hot tub rash. It's going around these days. And, <laughs> you know, and, and Gary would be like, oh my goodness. And, and they would pay people to get healed. And, you know, it was just working it, like total con man all the way. And, Obviously, he hadn't read about Jesus, how Jesus was like, look, bring the word, bring the gospel. That's number numero uno. Then also don't lie. That's also good. Okay, moving right along. I thought that was a nice story. I don't know. Maybe no. Okay, you can check out the book on your own. Okay, it'll come up next week because we're still reading it. But verse 39, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So it's really amazing as you go to Galilee, and I hope you're a Facebook um, person on the church page. I've been posting some of my Israel trip videos, and I'll post the one of um, what's called Gamla, which is a synagogue that was just outside of Galilee, and you can see the Sea of Galilee from this synagogue. It's an incredible um, place where there was a Roman conquest, this, that, and the other. But the original stones are all there 
from the synagogue that Jesus came in. It says he went throughout all Galilee. This is a synagogue within Galilee. And he spoke in the synagogues and he cast out demons. And we'll sit there on our trip and we'll read this and just imagine, you know, I love the idea if walls could talk and if stones could talk. I guess the Bible tells us all about it. He cast out demons there. It was an amazing thing. Now, verse 40. How far along are we here today? 20 minutes. Okay. All right. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus is going to make this leper clean. And it's been said that of all the miracles that Jesus did, one of the most marvelous was healing the leprous people. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, Ben-Hur. Amazing book, amazing movie, Charlton Heston, chariot scene. Amazing. And even the new Ben-Hur's are really good. But the old one with Charlton Heston about the leper colony and, and his mother and sister being lepers in that colony, you got to watch it, especially around Easter time. Uh, it'll make you cry. It'll make you weep because it'll help bring to your mind what lepers went through. Leprosy literally means smitten. Smitten. And according to the law, anyone who was a leper was unclean. The Talmud, or the Jewish teachings, listed leprosy as second to death in its list of 61 defilements. So if you were a leper, you were in pretty bad shape. Leprosy brought separation from the community as a a person would have to walk through a community and Leviticus chapter 13 speaks about it. They would have to cover up their mustache, it says. So first of all, you'd have to have a mustache. It's the number one rule of being a leper. But you'd cover up your mustache and you'd have to yell, unclean, unclean. And imagine, Polina, you know, just got to head down to the, and, you know, oh, talk about embarrassing. Talk about sad. Uh, it, you would have to be in a 150 foot radius away from people that had leprosy. Now, one of the most interesting things about leprosy is when you read Leviticus 13, and I'd encourage you to take your Bible, flip on back there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'll even get my Bible back out because apparently we need those here. Leviticus chapter 13 shows us that leprosy is actually a picture of sin. And even to the Jews, they understood that there was something deep going on in a person if they contracted leprosy and that deep rooted issue was manifesting itself on the outside in leviticus chapter 13 verse 13 if someone believed that they may have leprosy um, the priest would examine the sore on the skin of the body and if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a leprous sore. The priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. So if you had some sort of sore, you would really want to check this thing out. It's very common in the Middle East to, um, to contract this illness. And so the first picture of leprosy is that it's deeper than the skin. A picture of sin deeper than the skin if your wound has white hair and it's deeper than the skin that's a very concerning thing 
It's been said that in the beginning stages of leprosy, skin would take on a hard, glossy appearance, and later on it would become scaly. Dr. Henry Brandt was researching leprosy in Hawaii, and he noticed something. He made a discovery there. He was having trouble unlocking a door with one of those old-style keys, couldn't get this door open when a little boy with leprosy came up and said, let me try, and he just reefed on this key and opened the door with ease. When the Dr. Brandt looked at the boy's hand, his hand was dripping with blood and he had just just demolished his hand. And it's there that Brandt began to realize that there was an internal nerve damage going on with leprosy that would work its way out. He had a theory that leprosy would, if you know much about leprosy, the, it would, you would just lose fingers, you will lose nose, your nose, your toes, your ears, all your, it's a horrible, Google image, search it later, because um, it is interesting, um, but because there would, nerves would die, you wouldn't feel things, and you would chop off your finger accidentally, or the rats in these poor villages would come and just nibble off appendages, really horrific a uh, gruesome disease. Nerves would become numb and people would injure themselves severely without noticing it. Dr. Richard Stein was a brilliant man who wrote the book on leprosy and he would end up contracting it as well himself. He would go blind because in the morning he would take hot water and wash his face and his hands and he, it would be scalding hot and he didn't even realize it until it was too late. Uh, J.C. Ryle says leprosy was to rot by inches, to rot away by inches. And if you remember when Miriam contracted leprosy from the Lord in Numbers chapter 12, verse 12, Moses' sister uh, Miriam was said that she was as one dead of whom the flesh was already half consumed. So whatever issues you think you've got going on, just thank the Lord you don't have leprosy today. Um, Many people would take on the appearance of a lion. Eventually their nose would disappear. They would have a very strong odor. You could smell them from a hundred yards away. And J.C. Ryle says this, "But but is there nothing like leprosy among ourselves? Yes, indeed there is. There is a foul soul disease which is ingrained into our very nature and cleaves to our bones and marrow with deadly force. That disease is the plague of sin. Like leprosy, it is a deep-seated disease infecting every part of our nature, our heart, will, conscience, understanding, memory, and affections. Like leprosy, it makes us loathsome and abominable, unfit for the company of God and unmeet for the glory of heaven. Like leprosy, it is incurable by any of our earthly physicians and is slowly but surely dragging us down to the second death. And worst of all, far worse than leprosy, it is a disease from which no mortal man is exempt. As Isaiah 54 says, we are all as an unclean thing. So the first thing you see in the Leviticus 13 description of leprosy is 
that, that disease is deeper than the skin. It's, there's something going on deep in our hearts, deep in people's lives. And so next time you notice something ugly manifests itself in you, some, some sin happen, something ugly, ask the Lord, Lord, where's the root of, where is that thing going down deep in me? I want you to take care of that. Remove it from my heart. Deal with that sin issue. The second thing about, uh, oh, real quick, one final quote from Ironside. He said, leprosy was a constitutional disease. It worked outward from within. Second thing about leprosy, not only is it deeper than the skin, but it spreads. Okay? It spreads. Leprosy. Leviticus 13.5 And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days, then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore has faded and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab. Woo, praise the Lord. <laughs> and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. So leprosy would spread over the body just like sin. You know, sin, we think it's just a little thing. It's just a little one. But that little one always spreads itself and manifests itself. It's been said that sin makes you do what you never thought you'd do. It'll take you places you never thought you'd go. It'll make you stay longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And it'll make you pay a price you never thought you'd pay. Sin is leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin. So it's deeper than the skin. It spreads. The third thing is it defiles you and it isolates you. Look at Leviticus 13, 44. He's a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And you know, I don't know if you know much about your own personal sin, but so often when we're walking in sin, we just, I mean, people might not even know about it, and it begins to cause us to just like push away from people. You know, all of a sudden we don't like being around Christians. They're looking into my soul. I just know it. And we're all like, we got our own issues going on, right? Except for you, I'm totally judging you. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I mean, we just, we begin to isolate. We begin to stop going to church. We, we push ourselves away. We are isolated from God for all of eternity. Ultimately, sin leads to that. Just as leprosy makes you have to be away from the community, sin does the same thing, ultimately sending a person to hell where they're separated from God forever. Fourth thing here, let me just give you a heads up on how many things there are. Oh, good. It's four out of four. Think you can handle that? Okay. 
It renders things fit for the fire. The rabbis felt that leprosy was a direct judgment from God. One rabbi said, I would not so much as buy an egg from a market that was on the street that a leper walked down. And another rabbi said, when I see a leper coming, I throw stones at them until they turn around and go the other direction. It's really sad, don't you think? And so much when you read the Bible and when you read about Jesus, you know, Jesus had compassion for the lepers and he had compassion for the tax collectors. He had compassion for the people that everyone hated, but the self-righteous people and the proud, like Jesus couldn't stand that. Jesus had a lot of condemnation to say towards the people that were self-righteous and haughty in their own righteousness. And it grieves me today. And the funny thing is Facebook, it's like people wearing their heart on their sleeves. And it's like everyone just says like, you really know who people are by what they write on Facebook. So I don't have anyone in here in mind except for you. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding, Naomi. Uh, (laughs) Don't tell Jake. Okay. Uh, But you, like, it's amazing to watch people that even name the name of Christ and they forget who they were without Christ. And so they begin to pick the stones up and they begin to cast the stones at the people in our community who are the very ones that need the touch of Jesus and need the help of Jesus. And so I encourage you because we are a a culture and a people who we appreciate good men and women and good and right living and, you know, all of that. And in that, sometimes we forget the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the ministry of the gospel towards the people that they're the down and out or they're the, they're the sickos, they're the thieves, they're the molesters, they're the unrighteous, they're the criminals, they're the ones that Jesus came to save. And so we need to keep that in perspective. That being said, those items that touch the leprous sore would have to be burned in the fire and sin too renders things fit for the fire moving fastly fast so that we can finish up notice the man here pushes his way right through the crowd and asks the lord if he's willing to heal him verse 41 then jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said i am willing be cleansed It had probably been a really long time since anyone had touched this guy. And yet Jesus, not all like putting hand sanitizer on and like, well, let me see, let me put my mask on and ooh, ooh, you know. He just, full of compassion. The language actually is moved with compassion. It speaks of bowels of compassion, like deep inside you. Jesus, like, just, oh my goodness, man. Like, I totally want to heal you, you know, just cared about this individual that nobody had touched in years. Jesus touches him with compassionate hands and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Verse 42, and as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strict and Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you don't say anything to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing 
for those things that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So if you had leprosy, you were supposed to go to the priest, go through that whole process. And then there was like a sacrifice to offer to like totally be clean. And I would venture to say that no one had been cleansed from leprosy in the history of Israel since the law had been given. We know Naaman was cleansed from leprosy, but he was not an Israelite. He came, dipped in the Jordan seven times, and then went back to Syria. I would venture to say, and feel free to research and prove me wrong, but that this was the first time in the history of the law of Moses that someone went and showed himself to be pure from leprosy, and it would all have pointed to Jesus being the Messiah. Verse 45, you guys ready to wrap up? However, he went out. (laughs) So he didn't listen to Jesus's words. It wasn't time yet to proclaim it. We were going to be tactful in our ministry here. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Interesting how Jesus told the leper, like, okay, don't tell anyone. It's not time yet. This, that. We talked about that last week. And he went out and told everybody. And now we live in the time in history where Jesus tells us to tell everybody. And, you know, and we don't open up our mouths about Jesus. One final thought from J.C. Ryle. The morning sun rose upon the leper, a miserable being, more dead than alive. His whole frame, a mass of sores and corruption. His very existence, a burden. The evening sun saw him full of hope and joy, free from pain and fit for the society of his fellow men. Surely the change must have been like life from death. Isn't that an interesting thought? We're going to have communion And uh, maybe if Alan and Dustin would pass it out, that'd be awesome. And uh, as we take communion today, we'll close with a song. And let's ponder this picture, this type of leprosy being a picture of sin. And let's consider the effect that sin has had on our life personally, on our bodies, on our Uh, culture, on our family, how it's been a deep-seated heart issue for us. And if you've never asked Jesus to touch you and cleanse you from your sin, today is the day to do so. Today is the day to be like the leper and just boldly push your way through the crowd and just say, Jesus... I'm a sinner. It's a sin. It's like deep down in my heart, man. I can't shake it. Doctors can't cleanse me from it. It's, it's deeper than my skin. It's spreading in my life. I'm like in bondage. It's dark and it's ugly and it's, it's bringing isolation from my family and my community. I just see it just like a poison in my heart and it's rendering me fit for the fires of hell and it's okay to run to Jesus and say I'm afraid I know that this is 
nasty what I've done? Are you willing to cleanse me and heal me? And Jesus would say to you today, I'm willing to be cleansed. And I know that that might seem like a big prayer to pray, but you can just pray it like a little child, the Bible says, like a little child crying out to a father and just say, cleanse me of my sin. And he'll do it. And all you need to do is by faith, trust that he's done it. Trust that he's done it. That he's forgiven you, that he's cleansed you, and he's made you as as good as new. Just like you never sinned before.